Welcome to Creative Paths, the podcast that features unfiltered conversations about creative journeys. I'm your host, Sam Cole. I speak to creators from across the globe about their unique experiences and proudest moments, as well as the lessons they've learned along the way. Creative Paths is brought to you by Contact. It's the platform where creatives, models, photographers, and more find work and get paid, and where clients book the world's most diverse creative talent. Visit contact.xyz for more information. Hello and welcome to season two of Creative Paths. Joining me today for episode one is Alex Masek, one of the first 20 photographers that will be joining Contact as we launch the first of our new creative verticals. Alex is a London-based photographer, specializing mostly in portrait, music, fashion, and street photography, working with a broad range of clients and building an impressive portfolio over the past six years. In addition to his solo projects, he is the founder and head of photography at Ampersand Media, a London-based creative agency. So Alex, thank you for joining me today. Uh, it's really good to have you. So as you know, we're launching photographers on contact and you know, you're one of the first that's going to be joining us as one of our talents. And as we start to sort of explore the different avenues in photography and the different paths that people have taken, it would be really good to get a better understanding of your own journey how you started out and um, going from university and then starting your career. So if you can just like yeah. take us back to how things all started. Yeah, cool. Man, it's been a long journey. I've traveled quite a bit as well through my photography career, but I started, how many years ago was it now? It's been about, I'd say about eight, nine years. I started, you know, taking photos on my iPhone, actually. That was like some of the first first things I did. It was just like when I was outside or something, I would just like, on an old iPhone, I can't remember, maybe iPhone 4 or something like that. Graphics. Yeah, just take photos of whatever was around me. And then, um, you know, I started posting them on on Instagram and those were the early days of Instagram and it was just, you know, you slapped one of those like four designated filters on there and you just felt real good because you got like two, three likes and it was, yeah, that was great. <laughs> so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, was, that was the early days. And, you know, over time I kind of got into it more and I started realizing that there's more to photography than just putting, you know, a Valencia filter on, on an image. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. And I found through like, just like exploring and stuff, I found interest in DSLR cameras. And actually what pushed me more to photography was some injuries that I had. I used to play basketball. I, I played basketball at uni. I played lacrosse and football, football, not American <laughs> football because of my accent. Just make that clear. Um, yeah, I played, I played that in, in high school and because of that, I had some knee injuries. And um, every time I got hurt, I had to like take some time off from the sport and I needed something to kind of ground me and occupy my time while I was healing from those injuries. And from there, I, you know, started getting more and more into photography. And I realized that, you know, my mom had this old DSLR camera. It's like a Rebel T3i or something like that. And I would just, you know, go to like, the local beach or wherever I could go drive out, out to and just take some photos. And then I, I started figuring out how to edit them. And then once I could integrate those into Instagram and share them online, like Flickr and things like that, uh, it just like grew from there. Fast forward a couple of years after taking the time to go into New York, I, I went into New York. I took a lot of photos of cityscape stuff. I did a lot of like urbex, that kind of exploring because that was a really big time for that. And I also really just enjoyed, you know, doing street photography in New York is a great um, environment for that. From there, I ended up going to university for something completely different. I didn't study photography. I studied uh, marketing. Okay. And that was because I wasn't sure, to be honest, if I could. You're in that that age or that time when you're trying to figure out, do you want to do photography full time? And um, 
when you try to tell your parents, oh, I'm going to be a photographer full time, they're like, well, okay, yeah, cool. Um, <laughs> you're crazy. Yeah, you're crazy, away. right? Um, so, from there, I was like, okay, maybe I need something that's a little bit more vague and ambiguous that I can apply to a lot of different things while I continue to just experiment with photography. So, I did marketing and I went to the University of St. Andrews. End up playing basketball there as well, but once again, kept injuring myself. Oh. <laughs> it's Italian. <laughs> I missed the glass. Yeah, literally, literally. Uh, you could ask the guys on my team. I was injured quite a bit, but like I, I just enjoyed it. And it was just something that, that I enjoyed doing. And it always pushed me back to photography. So it was weird and it worked in that way. But while I was doing my, my degree, you know, a couple other friends, we started up an agency um, at the university doing like event photography and like offhand design work and whatever we could find really just to make some money on the side. And that grew over time. And by the time we were in our last year of university, we had kind of established ourselves as one of the, the bigger student-run agencies uh, on campus. And then from there, once again, came that big decision, am I going to do this full time or am I going to do something different? And this time, I felt brave enough to say, okay, I'm going to try it. Try the plunge. Yeah. So, uh, you know, me and a couple others, we we ended up going to different cities, but we still kept the agency going. So we set up the, the website and, you know, I came to London just trying to find work. I took on like anything I could take on, took some, you know, jobs where I, I still am like surprised about to this day, the things I photographed <laughs> and just like to get by. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's part of the journey. So, you know, from there it kind of grew and, you know, I got more into fashion photography over that time and, it's been almost five years I've been in London now. And like, I, you know, the agency is working with some really great clients and me as a photographer, I worked with some really big brands that I never imagined I could work with. So, you know, that full journey was definitely worth it. Heads ups and downs, but yeah, happy to be where I am today. Oh, of course. I think the, I mean, the journey is the, the most important thing. I mean, especially in retrospect. Definitely. So you're saying, obviously you worked a lot of different clients and so you had to, you know, take some weird, <laughs> yeah. some weird, uh, weird photos along the way. Sure, sure. But going through all of that, yeah. how do you work towards sort of developing your style and kind of like, you know, finding what your your niche is sure. and yeah. figuring out what kind of stories you want to tell through mm-hmm. visual? You know, there's there's a lot of ways like you can develop a style. But for me, what personally worked was just shooting a lot. I mean, I recently cleared out my hard drive and I. I'm upwards of like a million photos of in there. Wow. So, you know, like <laughs> if I like add it all together, I've taken a lot of photos in my life. Yeah. Um, some good, some terrible. That's part of the process. And like, as you start to reconfigure your style, you start to figure out how like these editing softwares work. And now like, for example, I shoot mostly on analog, which has really slowed me down. I mean, I'm the reason why I had so many photos over my, my spans, because I used to just like on shoots, I would, if I was doing like a fast shoot of shooting digital and still to a certain extent, I'll shoot a lot more than when I shoot analog, but analog has slowed me down. And analog was something that I kind of just developed an interest over because you start experimenting with different types of cameras and you, you find out there's whole, all different kinds of ways of capturing the, the things that you, you go through as a photographer, Absolutely, yeah. these subjects, I should say. Sure. So, you know, for me, it started out with the iPhone and then. I took photos on that, figured out apps on there. Then I got to the Rebel camera and started taking more and more photos, got into Lightroom, then eventually Photoshop. That was a huge step. And I think like any photographer, you know, not unsure about using Photoshop. I think Photoshop has really, really helped me personally with mm. like figuring out what I want to do and how to capture the kind of like colors and the the style that I have. But it's just a natural progression, really. Like you can't, the only way to really do it is to put in those hours. I mean, 
I, I think any photographer would agree, like the only way to get where you want to be is to put in those hours and to have the patience to know that not everything is going to go the way you want it to. But even if you try and fail, you've made, you've made a step in the right direction. So yeah, that's kind of like a short way of explaining, but it's just a lot of experimentation, a lot of, uh, things that I did, you know, like I went through different phases as well. I, like I started off with just landscape, then I got into street photography, then got into event photography, did tons and tons of event photography. And then from there, I went into more fashion stuff. And then in London now, I do a lot of like beauty, commercial photography, moving back into some landscape and street. Like it just, it goes through phases as well. And I think that's something that I always recommend people is just try out different things because it will expand your ability and your the spectrum of things you can do as a photographer yeah yeah totally. try video too. try film try digital try polaroid whatever you know all different kinds of mediums and then you'll find the things that you like yeah no totally i think that's sort of a problem a lot of people may uh may run into is like boxing themselves in yeah. too quick it's hard and i think you know with with having to brand yourself and sort of just have your mm. identity as a photographer a lot of people would just be like you know what I'm going to, I'm only shooting film yeah. or, you know, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm only going to do like this style specifically. Yes. And then, you know, you're stuck. You're it's stuck tough. There. It's tough. Social media does that. Like, yeah. Social media definitely puts you in that box. Like, and that's something that I still work on. And so many of my friends who are established photographers, they feel that pressure sometimes. And it's just because of the way those algorithms work and the way that people see your work. They'll mm. think, okay, this photographer is known for this thing. So social media really like restricts the style of photographers and everyone I know deals with that. Like, mm. Um, whether they're experienced or they're just up and coming, they feel that pressure and it goes all the way to the biggest in the world. And um, I think that navigation of that is, is really key. And another piece of advice I can give to people in that sense and something that's really helped me is like, you don't have to post everything on social media. Like you sure. can take photos and not post them on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And it took me a while to figure that out. Even like, I think nowadays you can feel really boxed in as a photographer uh, due to the, the pressures of social media and like social media can really from from all ranges of photographers from the beginning to the very top it can put you in a box if you let it and that's something that I've really dealt with for a couple of years now is always trying to figure out ways to kind of feel less of that pressure or just be able to do the things I want to do you know, people used to take photos just for taking photos, <laughs> which is yeah. <laughs> yeah. so hard, hard to believe. But um, there was a time when the photographer would take the photos, he'd go into darkroom, he'd develop them, and then he'd hang them up on his wall. He might, you know, give them to, let's say, I don't know, the client or to the agency or whatever, and then they would be there. They might get put in a magazine, but that was the extent of it. And nowadays, it's like you take a photo, you got to take a BTS reel, you've got to film, you know, video, real content. Then you got to take the photo. You've got to post it on Twitter, YouTube. You got to go on Instagram. It, it can get exhausting if yeah, you let it consume you. Yeah, everything. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes it's okay to take a break or to, you know, understand that not everything has to be for those kinds of things. You can just go out with the camera and have fun and then you might get your best photo. No, absolutely. For sure. It's, it's actually really strange. It's almost as if the voyeurism of society is almost taken over. It's now people aren't satisfied sometimes with just seeing the final product. It's like, I need to be there for every single step of this, yeah, yeah, yeah. see exactly how you're doing everything. It's like, as if they need to be like on your shoulder while you're doing it. Mm -hmm. So I can see, you know, that, that probably does come with a lot of pressures, Yeah, but as well, something that I find kind of interesting and, and would love to get your perspective on is do you, do you find that it's a good thing or something that comes with challenges that now obviously everybody has access to a phone? A lot of them, the cameras are very good. Like 
it can seem from an outside perspective that the market's like quite saturated because you know yeah. everyone can now take a photo so yeah, it's like yeah. at that point how do you kind of make sure that you're you know filtering out that noise and like right. rising above make sure you know you're you're very present but without having to like dilute your own style and you know oversaturate yourself to stand out when you say oversaturate like is it like how do you how do you stand out kind of in in that that field that yeah pool? yeah yeah when yeah. there's you know when there's so many people being able sure. to say just say you know put in their bio i'm a photographer yeah, yeah, yeah. well as someone who went through this process and I, I feel like i was sometimes more arrogant and confident as a as a photographer when i was younger than where i am now mm-hmm. and i think the the more you take photos the better you get as a photographer the more you realize that you have so much to learn yeah so Anyone can put photographer in their bio, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are um, at the level that someone who's put, let's say, 10 years of work into the craft. You also tend to specialize over over time. You get, you know, I, I know we were saying don't box yourself in and now I'm saying you box yourself in. <laughs> but there is a way to, you know, develop a niche without, you know, completely boxing yourself in. And, and photographers can specialize in certain things for commercial purposes as opposed to what they do creatively, like... I know some photographers that are amazing at like photographing products specifically, but on their free time, they're landscape photographers. So mm-hmm. you don't have to like do only that if you specialize yourself, but that's one major way is like people will get to know you for a certain style or something that you photograph because you have built up the portfolio and you have the clients to back it. And the main way that I've always gotten work in, in the past through, whether it's, you know, on a freelance basis or through the agency, it's, it's word of mouth. Like, you know, when I first came to London, I didn't really know many people here. Sure. Uh, I had to kind of just like, like I said, I took on whatever I could get, but that job ended up being another job and another job. And eventually you fall into certain categories or you find certain categories that you're really interested in. And through that specialty, people will come to you over someone who just put photographer in their bio. Yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah, the other thing is like the mediums that a person uses. So nowadays, if you're just a photographer, then it can be at a disadvantage, which is the honest truth. Unless you're, you know, top two, three hundred photographers in the world, then in, in a certain niche, then it's it's different, of course. But for me, one of the things that I realized pretty quickly was I had to also develop a skill set in video. With running an agency, sometimes you are put in a pinch and you have to be able to take on different hats so yeah. that you can get the job done. And so that was like one of the one of the things that I you know learned really quickly. So I guess that's a long way to answer the question, but learn different skill sets, take the time to develop the craft, and eventually you will be able to set your price and and find the clients that value you above you know just anybody. Mm, Does no, that makes sense. No, 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 totally, absolutely. I mean, it's it's interesting you say that because I mean, previous guests that we've had as well have have touched on that need to be able to wear multiple hats because you know we're obviously living in an age where people have access to so many different skills you know things like skillshare and stuff where you have the ability to just learn something new all the time so you know a client comes along is like can you do this and you can't yeah and there's someone that may may not be as skilled as you know a photographer but because they can do that other thing you know they may get that job over you yes um so i think there's possibly a bit of a myth that maybe you can dispel when it comes to photography and that is to do when people are stepping in at entry level mm-hmm. what kind of equipment they need what camera they need yeah. do they need you know yeah, a yeah. lot of people think i need the top of the range camera yeah. best of the best equipment right. and obviously we'll jump in spending crazy money straight away so like how do you feel about that yeah and for sure what would you say to an entry level photo- photographer who's you know unsure of what camera to go for and and so on 
So I get this this question a lot and I'm guilty of this as well. Like there's photographers I look up to, I'm like, oh man, I wish I knew what camera they used. There's both sides to it. I think the first the first point of view I can, I can take is it doesn't matter that much. It does matter if you're shooting, let's say, analog versus digital. Yeah. It does matter if you are shooting, you know, video versus photo or the kinds of mediums you use and the overall end goal, what you're trying to capture. There are certain pieces of equipment that will help you get there. That's not deniable. And if you, you know, if you have let's say 5,000 pounds to spend on equipment versus 200 pounds, there will be a little bit of a difference in the quality. But that doesn't necessarily mean the result is going to be any better because you have to put the time in to be able to use that expensive equipment. Sure. A lot of expensive equipment is, is a lot more complicated to use than the, easy, the smaller cameras and the ones that are a bit more practical. And I also use cheaper cameras quite often as my main you know piece of equipment. I mean, one example I can give is because I shoot a lot of analog. I have a medium for my camera, which is a lot bigger. I'm a Mia RB67. And I also have a Canon EOS 3, which is a 35 millimeter point shoot. One camera is more expensive than the other. The medium format is, is more expensive. And um, a lot of people say medium format is the one. And, you know, you can't shoot 35 if you're working with you to get a certain detail on the photos. And sure. Okay. What I found is that's not entirely the case. I do love medium format for what it is. But it doesn't necessarily mean that shooting 35 is any worse. Unless you're blowing up to a billboard scale kind of thing, that's a bit of a different story. But I've done shoots lately where I haven't shot any medium format. And I realize that's fine. You don't have to shoot medium format every time you shoot. Mm. So, you know, just because you have expensive kit doesn't mean that that's going to lead to the, the best result. And some of the photographers that I really admire, they mix it up between using like a phase one camera and then they'll use a 200 pound camera film camera or something and take a photo that's better than the one they took with the phase one it's all about what's comfortable it's all about the skill set and especially with photography or video or anything else the understanding of lighting is like the most important thing you can get an amazing photo on a cheap camera if you know how lighting works right yeah and you you could say it's pretty equal if you're you know setting up let's say a studio shoot if you don't have good lights and you have a really expensive camera versus um, you have good lights, but an inexpensive camera, it kind of balances out in a lot of ways. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, but, you know, everyone has their opinion on that. That's just my my thoughts on it. But I, I think that while there is a slight advantage of having more expensive gear, it's pretty minor compared to the actual experience that you need to put in. Right. And I can, you know, test that by looking at the photos I took, you know, eight years ago, seven years ago, compared to what I take now. Some of them I even take on cheaper cameras than I did when I started out. Sure. And that's, you know, there's still a huge difference in the, the quality just yeah, because yeah, yeah. Of, of the time put in. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, I think there's there's a lot of different things that you've kind of mentioned that balance each other out. You yeah. know, obviously your experience, your just understanding of how lighting works and, mm-hmm. you know, just through experimentation and sure, everything. Sure, sure. Um, backtracking a little bit before I found it um, really interesting that you touched on like the importance of word of mouth because I think yeah. a lot of people think that, that is gone now, yeah. the, you know, because of sure. Instagram and stuff. That's, that's all you need is like social media is the new word of mouth. So mm-hmm. even now when you're finding new clients or looking for new brands to work with and so on, how important has, you know, word of mouth been and how do you kind of utilize that yourself to ensure that you're getting like maximum exposure on your work? You know, word of mouth for me, right? I think that's the biggest way that I get work is because clients, you know, if you do a good job for a client, they will come back to you. Like if you 
set a fair price and you do a good job, why would they go for anyone else? So, you know, for me, it was when I first came to London, I found a couple smaller clients and then they would, uh, you know, introduce me to somebody else because they liked the work I did. I was, I delivered what they were looking for essentially. And as a photographer, like, that for me was a, a big realization because I thought social media was was the way to when I first you know started out, I, I put so much effort into social media. But I also realized really quickly that to get actual like real stable relationships with clients, the word of mouth is the way to develop that. So you know all of the bigger clients I have at the moment, maybe except for like one or two of them, it's all through word of mouth. Just they you know I did a good job for someone who then introduced me to somebody else who's mm. saying you know this guy is reliable and he does a good job and his prices are fair or um you know they're what we what we need so you know have have a look at at what they do Mm. and then you know you kind of scale it up from there the better you get the more you can raise your prices and demand more because you have uh expertise to back that and you have reliability and you have the tools and all those things like that is what merits a, a slow growth of pricing and to make sure that you do it consistently in regards to how the market is because i think that's also one of the things that i always really struggle with and still do to a certain extent it's like figuring out what's the right way to price your work and make sure that you're not undercharging yourself um but you're not overcharging mm. for what people expect yeah common problem we yeah. that we hear a lot yeah yeah it's kind of funny because it's like those those things such as reliability mm. and you know the things that you actually have to give as a person as opposed to a creative they're things that you can't really show through social media like nobody's going to see how reliable you are or or whatever so those things you know they're very much grounded in word of mouth like you can't you can't change that so that's you know that's interesting to see and another thing i kind of wanted to get in a bit of a better understanding of is how how you negate comparing yourself to others because i know especially um probably when you're working with clients and i guess this kind of links to word of mouth is they're always looking at multiple people right and you know there's going to be some of those jobs where somebody else is getting the job and then you know maybe however a couple months few weeks down the line you're then seeing this person's work and you're like oh you know if i you know you start making those comparisons how do you stop yourself doing that and you know is there any advice you could give to somebody that's maybe doing their first job or first few jobs Mm -hmm. to ingrain it within themselves that you shouldn't be comparing yourself to others because you know you're your own creative yeah i mean that is that's a tough one and um i was in this boat a couple of weeks ago, actually, maybe mm-hmm. let's say two months ago, you know, no matter how good you get, there's always going to be, I wouldn't want to say competition, but there's other people who are trying to do the work you're doing. There's price matching, there's comparing, and that happens outside of your control Yeah, because everyone's just looking to get the job done for the best price. Some clients do value the creative style and the aesthetic and the, the craftsmanship, mm-hmm. but some don't. And so you have to understand that as a creative it's not always something you need to take personally. And it's something that I've worked on is like trying to kind of understand setting my price to where I value it and then being able to step away and not take it personally if it doesn't work out. And like in this particular circumstance, they came to me and they were asking me to do a a shoot in um, Manchester and I gave them a quote and they ended up going with someone who was in Manchester because they didn't have to pay for travel and accommodation and all those things. And 
at first I got mad and I was like frustrated and because you see a client that you've worked with for a long time go with someone else and kind of just move on and you get frustrated, but then you realize that this is this is going to happen and mm-hmm. there's nothing you can do. It's yeah. out of your control. Part of the game. It's part of the game. And, you know, you can sit there and get frustrated about it, or you can just kind of pull yourself back up and find another client. And the thing is, sometimes when you set your price, people will respect that and they'll understand that you're worth a certain amount of money or, you know, your value is at a certain level. Yeah. Um, and then that client ended up coming back to me because they they went with the other person, but the other person didn't deliver what they had hoped for. Yeah. Okay. For whatever reason, I don't know what that was exactly, but it could be a number of things. They could be less reliable. They could, you know, be difficult to communicate with. They could take longer to turn around whatever they're requiring. There's, there's a million things, but yeah. sometimes you just have to understand that people will go to a different person and then they might come back to you. They might not, but not getting so emotionally invested in, especially commercial work has been really beneficial to, my overall mental health in terms of like dealing with these things because yeah, you can get sucked into it and you can get, you know, comparing on, on social media can be uh, something that a lot of creatives struggle with because, you know, you might see somebody that's doing really well and you're thinking, why can't I be doing that? Yeah. We're all guilty of it. We're yeah, all well. guilty. You're like, why can't I be shooting? I don't know this major campaign. You know, I am just as good, but yeah. what people don't know is like that person may have put, twice as many years into the craft or um, got a chance to meet a particular person that introduced them to that team that, you know, set them up. And eventually you will get the opportunities that you hope for and you dream for if you just can kind of continue down your path instead of always looking at a million different directions, being like, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. And Mm -hmm. why am I not as good as this person? Why am I not good as this person? If you can maintain a steady course and focus on yourself first and foremost, then 10 years time, you could be shooting that major campaign. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's there's two things that you actually touched on in there and I'd, I'd like to sort of circle back to both of them. But I think the first and probably most important one is how do you, you know, as like a freelance creative, mm-hmm. how do you kind of balance your your workflow and just, you know, wanting to create for the sake of creating sometimes yeah. with your mental health? Because, you know, obviously within a lot of corporate settings, mm-hmm. you know, there are places to go to. They have all these initiatives and whatnot. Yeah. Obviously, as a freelance, you're kind of managing that yourself. Yeah. So, yeah. how do you strike that balance, you know, and what are some things that have maybe worked for you to ensure that you're staying grounded? We all probably faced mental health challenges over the past two years. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'd be surprised if I met any single person any sort of freelancer that would have been able to say, oh yeah, uh, my mental health was great during this lockdown. Like I was able to, you know, navigate without any sort of ups and downs because every single person I knew had had issues that they faced during this time. Um, and, you know, these these times they, they make us look within ourselves to find ways to deal better with the problems that arise through mental health. And even before, you know, there's times when you can overwork yourself, where you call them, burning out or, yeah you know yeah, things like that problem. yeah it can be very detrimental and i think the first most important thing that i i realized through this period was you can you know take a break you can not post for a while you can stop shooting for a while and just gather yourself and let your mind kind of reprocess and recalibrate there were some interesting articles i read but one of the things that i picked up was in order to be like truly at your optimal creative level, you need to basically think about a creative idea and then let it process, do something and then step away for a couple of days, go outside, take a walk, you know, one day just away from it, from all that stuff True. can really let your mind 
really develop the idea further. So sometimes, you know, when I'm trying to force an idea, I'll step away from it. Right. I'll go outside and take a walk. Um, I'll go on a, a day trip somewhere and just let my mind like reset itself. The other thing is for me has really been really helpful is meditation. I'm meditating a lot and I, I really got into it over lockdown and uh, it's been great for me to, you know, clear my mind and get some of that anxiety out that I faced with that I was faced with on a regular basis because before the lockdown I was I was shooting at like a really high cusp and then when lockdown happened I wasn't able to consistently keep shooting because of obviously the, the safety reasons and things like that so I stepped away from it and then that helped me kind of realize that it's okay to you know take a second and just not shoot all the time and not have to constantly produce for social media and burn yourself out for the sake of just being always present on that yeah. online space. Yeah, um, absolutely. And then the last thing that really helped me was to do other kind of creative mediums. So I got really into painting over lockdown and I had kind of done some painting before this, but during these past few years, I've really dug into it because it allows me to create without any sort of pressure. There's no one expecting anything from me. It's just purely something I do to just unwind. And so, you know, that gives me ideas for photography and it winds back into some of the stuff I do, you know, commercially Mm -hmm. or things like that. So those are like three things that really help me. There's loads of ways you can battle the mental health issue, take it on, I should say. Yeah. Um, Everyone has different ways of doing that. But I think, yeah, like those three things were really key to me and being able to come out of lockdown with, with a stronger understanding of my mental health and how important that is, you know, in the long run as a creative, because if you don't take care of, of your mind and, and of, of your creativity, that will in the long run hinder you more than if you, you know, say like, I'm just going to keep working, 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 yeah, working. Yeah. Trying to push uh, through right and that now. will just snowball and eventually you will hit that wall and you won't know how to deal with it. Yeah. So it's definitely important to take time to consider mental health. No, totally agree. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's really, really good to, to hear it from like a freelance perspective, mm. because like I said, you know, it's, difficult for people to know where to turn if they haven't just got that sort of institution there that they can kind of run to um so the 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 second thing um that i wanted to go back to on that original point was you know we've we've mentioned pricing uh, a few times now sure um and you know in previous conversations i think especially with photographers Mm. on the podcast is how you price yourself and sort of how you adapt that going through your career because obviously Mm. you know the more work you do the better your work gets the more clients you're getting you're going to want to put your price up yeah yeah. so from the start point how do you initially price yourself because you know that's very difficult for a lot of people and then as each of those steps come how do you justify your increases and maybe if you're asked by a client how do you justify to them if at all yeah it's the age-old question and literally this morning i was Speaking to a friend of mine who was trying to figure out how to price for a project and, you know, no matter how big you get, you're still always like trying to figure out how to scale that. So for me, I guess, you know, I can go back to when I first came to London and then where I am now in terms of how I like scaled up my pricing. I, I remember when I first came to London, I took on any job I could get, no matter, you know, what the budget, I just needed to make money. And that was one of the most important factors that I considered at the time was like, where's my financial situation? What can I afford to to do or what can I afford to say no to? Hmm. And as you develop your time as a photographer, as a creative, um, you start to, like you said, 
get certain skill sets, certain expertise where you can justify raising your prices. So I kind of see it as like a ladder, you know, you have to say, this is where I'm at. Like right now, I'm just taking on whatever I can get and I'm going to slowly raise it as I scale up with equipment, with the knowledge that the programs use and how you can combine them. I think nowadays, one of the ways to, to really raise your prices is to be able to be flexible and be able to offer multiple things in a package. So when I first started, all I could do was photography. Yeah. And then over time, I learned how to do video editing. Um, I learned how to shoot analog, how to develop analog, painting, like all of those different kinds of mediums. If you can combine them, then that justifies a higher price because you can do things that other people can't do. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, going back to my original thought, um, took on whatever I could in, in London. And then slowly as I got more jobs, I started raising my price based on you know, the, the work I was getting and that where I felt comfortable, like I was earning enough to sustain myself. Yeah. One of the base kind of prices, which I hate doing, but like just to give some <laughs> yeah, figures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's helpful. I, I think for most people in London specifically, like you can say for like a, a bigger shoot, if you're shooting like some commercial project, a day rate could be anywhere from 400 to 800 pounds. That's like, starter to medium level maybe add on to travel and uh, usage usage is a super tricky one uh, yeah yeah that's again something that comes up every single yeah, time without i mean i can give people specific advice if i see the specific you know thing but like it can go anywhere from you get paid 400 pound for a shoot to i was speaking to someone the other day and for like a worldwide usage kind of campaign it could go up to twenty thousand. wow yeah <laughs> that's, that's quite a and jump then beyond that's that jump. you know it yeah, can go beyond that it's yeah, like wow you have to understand what is it being used for mm. who's the client um what's your kind of like skill set and you have you have your day rate right and then you kind of expand on that based on usage and the agreement that you can get what also helps is obviously if you have an agent or someone because they're always going to get you more money than than what you would charge because they don't have the emotional attachment they don't have those insecurities that right. you might have but you know for me i think when i started out my day rate was probably like 300 400 pounds i took on stuff below that and then now it's that much higher it's around you know that 800 plus range it can it can go higher but it just really depends on the client oh, contextual yeah totally so i i hope that's like a concise enough answer no like, no no no, no it can sure. change like uh, it's also the pandemic makes it a bit difficult yeah, because yeah, yeah you know everyone took a hit with mm. with that so people may have like lowered their rates to get more to get by um i definitely took on a couple jobs that i wouldn't have taken on pre-pandemic yeah uh, and i'm not like ashamed to talk about that i think people need to understand it just because it is a ladder of scaling, sometimes you take an L and then you have to kind of like get back up and figure it out. So, you know, you you take on jobs where you're like, oh man, I can't believe I would have taken that on or I can't believe I'm shooting this. Yeah, agreed, yeah. But, you know, by I'm very much in the opinion that, you know, whatever it takes to make it through those times is, is what you have to do. Like, yeah, no. But totally it is agree. difficult when the photographer feels like they're at a certain point and that they've established themselves. It can be kind of humbling. Yeah. Which is a good way to describe like the pandemic. I think a lot of people felt that it's just like it was a humbling experience because you had established yourself to a certain place and then all of a sudden, you know, the work wasn't coming like it used to. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's very dependent on the situation and the experience. But 
with a couple of those like figures I gave, it kind of gives you an, a good estimator. But yeah, nice it's, I can always recommend, you know, speaking to photographers that are more established. Yeah. That can yeah. give you that guidance. Um, I'm always happy to talk to people about those things. And I talk to other photographers that are even more established, like 40, 50 year old photographers that have worked on massive campaigns. So they know exactly what that usage would be and how to justify that. No, that's it. That's really, really useful. Cause I think, I mean, the main thing is that people just don't really know where to start. So yeah. it's like, where do, where do I look to? Yeah. And you know, you, you may always have that fear that people are going to want to gatekeep that kind of information because yeah, they're going to, you know, see you as a competitor or whatever. I wouldn't agree with that. I think if you're a good photographer, then you're, you know, you've justified a certain point in, in your career. Like there, there's a lot of gatekeeping, especially in the fashion industry. I, <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. agree with that. Like, I think it's, if you're a good photographer, they will come back to you. Even if, you know, you introduce people to other clients, other work, like I'm happy to see other people doing things and, and getting opportunities through the people I've introduced them to. And I think that comes back full circle. Yeah. Maybe that's very um, counterintuitive to how some of the other people in the industry might behave. But, um, you know, for me, if I've helped someone, usually they will come back and they'll bring an opportunity. And that's how I've gotten some of the best opportunities in my life by actually helping people out when they needed it. Mm-hmm. And they came back when I needed it. Yeah. Um, Full circle. Moments. So yeah, that's, that's how I see it. No, that's great. That's amazing. Um, so I think a great way for us to kind of just round up the conversation we've been having would just be, if you could sort of filter everything down, all the, all the points that we've touched on mm-hmm. and just turn that into three key bits of advice sure. that you would, you know, give to a creative that's on that path to turning their passion into a career. Yeah. You know, li- like you said at the beginning, may not even necessarily know that that's what they want to do right now, but you know, three things that are going to help them maybe make that decision or just pull them out of that rut. They're stuck in trying to make it, you know? Okay. Three things, three things that like would help in navigating this, uh, this world. Okay. First and foremost is, understanding it's a process like that it will be a gradual step-by-step thing as long as you continue to take like an hour let's say let's say half an hour a day if you're able to dedicate half an hour a day to photography or whatever it is you're trying to pursue you'll make it a lot further than the person who will i don't know dedicate like a week of intense work and then take a month off so understanding that if you're just starting out and you're just wanting to get into it set yourself a little incremental kind of like i'm going to do this for 10 minutes a day. Sure. And that can get you really far. Or, you know, I want to take one photo a day. Like set yourself a goal that is achievable and not overwhelming. And then once you start getting the skills and you feel more and more confident, you can add to that and say, instead of one photo a day, I want to take five photos a day or whatever it is. It's about developing a good habit. That's the first and foremost thing. Forming the habit and getting your mind to understand, like, if I take some good photos, that will make me feel good. It's a very simple kind of thing, but I think that's like one of the most important things. And that like helped me was just always just going out and taking photos for fun. Yeah. And that's how I got into the commercial stuff. The second thing is, is uh, valuing yourself and understanding where you are in the kind of like the hierarchy, I would say, of like creatives and taking the time to find opportunities and understanding that not everything is always going to work out. So in that hierarchy, you might be at the very bottom and you're not going to get that to that very top right away. So once again, once you put that gradual work in, you'll get to the top because you've put your time in. And the third one, I guess, would be to soak up, you know, inspiration as much as possible. Expand, experiment, try different things and just like don't limit yourself to to one thing. Mm-hmm. Some people say, you know, you should dedicate to one kind of medium. And I, for me, at least it wasn't the case. Like I just tried out with different things and that's what always kept me going. 
So whether that's, you know, watching a bunch of movies and getting really into the cinematography or painting or going to museums and, and soaking in the way painters would paint or, you know, learning about animation or, or any of that, like that can help you in, for example, your photography, because it will get you to think a different way than someone who just, let's say, went to a uni for photography, learned it a certain way, and then worked with one particular client. It's like, that's, that's fine. I'm not trying to talk down on any single person. No, no, of that. course. Yeah. But in order nowadays to really like make it as a photographer, I think people need to be known for a certain style and an aesthetic and they need to stand out for something. And for me, at least, what something that always helped me kind of uh, push into different directions was the experimentation. So, yeah, I guess set yourself a consistent goal, know your value and experiment as much as possible. Yeah. Those are the three, I would say. And there's a, mo- a bunch of other things you can do. There's no right or wrong answer, but those have helped me a lot in my journey. Yeah. No, I think those, those are amazing. And I think it kind of rounds up everything that we've we've spoke about nicely because you know a lot of those things obviously do tie into one another and they're they're kind of levels that you're going to have to scale and walk up and down different ways at different points in your career so i think that's it's really useful and i think there's just so much information there for you know young creatives starting out or even people at midpoint or later in their careers to to soak up. So I really appreciate how open you've been and mm-hmm. willing to share, you know, that much yeah. information because not everybody is willing to do that. No so, problem. No yeah, problem. I really thank you for that. And, you know, uh, thank you so much for coming and spending the time with me today and, you know, sharing all of this great information. And yeah, you've been great. Thank you so much. No problem. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creative Paths. For more information about this episode, check out the description or visit contact.xyz forward slash creative hyphen paths. I'll be back soon for more unfiltered conversations about creative journeys. Creative Paths is brought to you by Contact, the platform where creatives, models, photographers, and more find work and get paid, and where clients book the world's most diverse creative talent. Visit contact.xyz for more information.